This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me, I'm Alex Bennett. This chapter is entitled, Two Breakups. As you may remember, I came back to San Francisco. I started working at Live 105 once again after a nine-month hiatus, and uh, it was a very successful show. I mean, it was, I think, a better show than before we left, and it was really working out great. And um, I could go through all the things that happened during that time and all the people that I had on and all of that, but we've kind of done that. Suffice to say, the show was successful, and uh, I was enjoying myself. And this time around, of course, I was appreciating what I had for the first time instead of taking it for granted. One thing I, I guess I didn't take for granted was my relationship with the girlfriend I kept referring to on this series as X. We had been together since, well, on and off since 1983. I say on and off because uh, it was off about once a year. I think in the 11 years that we were together, we broke up 11 times. And to my recollection, and she can correct me on this to this day, I think of those 11 times we broke up, not once did I do the breakup. It wasn't for a lack of commitment on my part. It was something that about me that bothered her. And uh, at least once a year, she would break up with me. On one occasion, she broke up with me on a Saturday, and then we got back together the following week on a Saturday, and the following Saturday she broke up with me again. So, uh, you know, she she even got more rapid in her in her getting rid of me. But anyway, this went on and off, on and off, on and off. And, and a lot of times she she would uh, tell me that I had a lack of commitment. But you know, I I wasn't the one that kept breaking this thing up. But I, you know, like the guy, you know, if your if your girlfriend or your wife says you have a lack of commitment, then you go, well, I'll try and fix that, all right, rather than get into an argument about who's right and who's wrong. But anyway, uh, this went on and off, on and off, on and off, until finally it came to a head. What happened was to show how much I cared about this relationship. I said, look, we haven't done this. Let's move in together. And we went and we looked for an, a, a house, and we found a beautiful house in Sausalito. It was, wasn't cheap, but, you know, hey, I wanted her to be happy. I had a great view of the bay and everything. And we went to see it, and uh, I said to her, uh, I think we should take it. She said, yeah. And so we told the guy who was showing it to us, we're going to take it. And he says, good, I'll get all the stuff together, and you can sign the papers later on in the day. Between the time she said, let's take it, and the time I was supposed to sign the papers she broke up with me again. And I kind of said to myself, you know, this time I'm not going to try and let it come back again. You know, it had come back several times, and it was really amazing because each time we got back together, the relationship got more loving. It got better. So, you know, I guess I could have said, uh, well, we'll get back together again and it'll even be better. But the one thing I can be sure of is it will break up again. And this cycle could repeat itself, repeat itself incessantly for years and years and years to come. And I just said, that's it. Okay. So that was it. That was the end of our relationship. The other thing I had done is I had bought a, uh, I had bought a engagement ring. 
She didn't know this. I was going to give it to her in uh, Paris. What I was going to do is we were, I was going to Lillehammer for the Olympics, okay? And then after that, I was going to go to Paris, meet her in Paris, and I, there's this one place I always wanted to propose to her. There is this room full of Van Goghs. It's probably one of my f- most favorite places in the whole world. And what I was going to do is take her into the room full of Van Goghs, get down on one knee, hand her the ring, and say, will you marry me? Well, I didn't get that opportunity because we broke up and I was still holding on to the ring. A ring, by the way, I held on to for maybe three or four years after that, and then one day decided... I'm never going to have to use it. And if I do marry somebody else, I don't want to give them a ring that was meant for somebody else. So I I sold the thing back and had some money to go buy porn with. I don't know what I did with the money. But anyway, so it was, that was the end of the relationship. Uh, For a time, there's a story about 10 years later, but that's way on down the line, okay? But for now... This relationship was over and done with, and I had finally decided that the only sure thing about this relationship was is that if I tried to save it, she would come back. And if she came back, she would leave again. And, you know, they say the form of insanity is having uh, is doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same result and trying to do it again. That's the true definition of insanity. And this relationship, I suppose, was absolutely, amazingly insane. And so that was the end of our relationship together. And it grieves me a great deal because there are moments in which there was great love and there was great caring. And, you know, it went on for 11 years, whether it was on or off again. It it, It kept going for 11 years. That's a long time to have a relationship with anybody. Now, the question is, did I ever cheat on her? And the answer to that question has to be, I don't know. (laughs) Here's why I'm saying I don't know. Is because we'd break up. I'd meet people. I'd go out with them. I'd have sex with them. I'd maybe even have a little bit of a relationship with them. And then she would come back. And then she would leave me again and I'd go out and have some more affairs. and some. So I don't know if at any time was I having a relationship with somebody while I was going with her. But it wasn't a wonderful thing for all the women who would go with me during these intermittent periods because the minute she would come back, ta-da, I would say, I'm sorry, I have to go back to my old girlfriend. It was just stupid, and it was horrible to do to these other people. I should have never even gone out with anybody for a while, so that wouldn't have to happen. There was one woman, in fact, that I really liked, that I thought was terrific, and that I I could see getting married to. And then all of a sudden, X says, "Uh, I want to get back together again, and it was goodbye. So this was an insane, insane relationship. And so I finally just decided, that's it. I'm through. You know, uh, I, I showed her the ring before we broke up. She gasped. Um, I then took the ring with me to the Olympics, thinking I would go on to Paris in case she, because I had a ticket for her to go to Paris, and uh, in case she decided to use it. But she made no indication of deciding to use it, so I went back to New York instead and hung out and watched my business manager get married. How's that for uh, uh, something nice to do? Uh, but anyway, I uh, uh, it was quite a relationship, and it was it was a tumultuous one, and it went on forever. And uh, 
But, you know, to this day, I have a very fond remembrance of her. And I think that's the thing you got to take away from relationships, even the ones that fail, is that there were times when things were wonderful. There were moments of great joy. Otherwise, you wouldn't have pursued them. And so you really have to remember those and say, hey, thank goodness I had those moments with this person. And maybe it was never meant to be in the end, but while it lasted, there were some good times. That's breakup number one. What's breakup number two? Okay, so I'm doing the show in San Francisco. Uh, We go back in about uh, uh, the middle of uh, uh, 1990. And uh, we're going along very nicely. Uh, we're, we're heading into 1997. So what is that? This is, we're, we're about seven years. A longer amount of time this time than the first time around that I was at Live 105. And the show was doing fine. It was doing great. It was, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing where ratings go up and ratings go down. And when you live by those ratings, uh, they can be... A terrible thing because when when the ratings go up you're joyful everybody loves you they take you out for drinks they have parties and when the ratings go down here's how you can make the show better and then you try to the logic on people about ratings that go up and down and by saying well you know they were up three months ago and doing very well and all of a sudden they say that they take this precipitous drop now, what could I have done in that three months that would make a precipitous drop? And the answer was absolutely nothing. Maybe we shouldn't have believed the original ratings, and uh, the, the, these are the ones that are really for real. Or maybe, you know, whatever. It's just, it, it was insane, and ratings were insane. And uh, part of the problem was the station we were at, Live 105, didn't have the greatest signal. And its signal was spotty as it got into fringe areas. And so where a more powerful station could fill in all those fringe areas, we couldn't. So depending on where the books, the rating books and diaries laid, because in those days people used to write down what they listened to, uh, it, it was a luck of the draw. And so sometimes the ratings could just go down because the books didn't fall in the right places. So anyway, uh, but basically the ratings were good. The show was popular. The show to this day, you know, people keep writing me and saying, oh, you got to come back to San Francisco and you got to do another show here. That was the greatest radio show ever. And I agree. It was a terrific show. It was a wonderful show. And um, uh, we, I had a lot of fun doing it. I was really enjoying it. But something happened. And something that happened was that CBS bought Live 105. Now, CBS owned a whole bunch of stations. It was run by a guy by the name of Mel Carmazan, who will show up in my life later on. And Mel was the guy who was uh, responsible for the success of Howard Stern. He had hired Howard when a radio station in New York no longer wanted him and said, I think I can do something with this guy, and, and made him into a very big success. Everywhere but San Francisco. Uh, they could only get Howard cleared in one station in the San Francisco Bay Area. And that was in San Jose. And they wanted to get him into San Francisco, but they didn't own a station in San Francisco. So when they bought Live 105, which in those days, I believe they actually bought it to get a station for Howard. The only problem was they had a morning show on in San Francisco that was beating the bejesus out of Howard in San Jose. And that was Alex Bennett. And so since they bought the radio station with Alex Bennett on it, kill two birds with one stone, 
get Howard on Live 105, get Alex Bennett out. No more competition for Howard. Now, a lot of people who know this story remember that Howard did not immediately uh, follow me when I went off the air in San Francisco. As a matter of fact, um, Howard went on, oh, I don't know, maybe six months later, something like that. In the meantime, there was this guy named Johnny Steele. Johnny was a, um, can I say this in all honesty, mediocre comedian in San Francisco who did my show a lot. And when he did my show, he would go in and kiss ass with the boss. Uh, he really ingratiated himself to the radio station like crazy, to the point where the radio station said, well, when Alex, when you go on vacation, we want, we want uh, Johnny to do the show. And I really didn't care who did my show when I went on vacation. I just wanted to go on vacation. So um, uh, Johnny would replace me on the show. Uh, but what he would do is sometimes he was a guest on the show, and he would go in. This is what a weasel Johnny was. He would go into uh, the boss, Pat McNally's office, and sit down and go, Alex wasn't nice to me this morning. He hasn't been nice to me lately. I, you know, I need to be treated nicer by him. And I would get a, a little talking to by the program director, Pat, like, why are you treating Johnny so badly? I said, I'm not treating Johnny badly. I'm, I'm, I'm not treating him in any way in particular. You know, and um, uh, so anyway, he was always kissing their ass. I mean, it was amazing the suck up job he was doing. So finally, I, uh, I, I'm told we need to have a meeting. Uh, we, you're going to have to leave. And the reason you're going to have to leave is because uh, uh, we feel the ratings aren't good enough. And, uh, you know, we need a change in the morning. We want to go in a different any excuse they could come up with. And so I remember we had a meeting at my apartment. It was me, and it was the uh, general manager, and I don't think it was the program director, and it was my business manager, uh, and it was my my uh, agent. And because uh, I had taken on an agent in the last uh, negotiations that we did with Live 105. He was a lawyer from, I think, Oakland, and he was specializing in broadcast personalities. And we discussed my leaving. And what needed to be done? Well, first of all, we were t we told them you got to pay off the contract. The contract still had about thirteen months left on it, at a great deal of money. Uh, and a lot of people always said to me, "Gee, you're making that much money for not working? How do I get me a job like that?" And I said, "It's not so wonderful." And they went, "Why isn't it wonderful?" I said, "Do you realize somebody's willing to pay me?" And this is what it was at the time: about three uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the year not to come to work. In other words, it's worth it to them for me not to come to work. Anyway, uh, we, uh, we discussed the, those arrangements, and then they said, and you can go out any way you want to go out. And I noticed that on a particular Friday, about uh, three weeks ahead, uh, we were going to do a remote, and it was going to be from Walnut Creek. Uh, and I'm trying to remember what the club was now. I don't even remember the name of the club. And they, I said, well, you know, that's going to be a, a, a breakfast with Bennett. I said, I want to do it there. I want to tell the audience there. But prior to that, I don't want anybody to know, okay? I want to be able to do my last couple of weeks of shows here without having people sitting around looking at me like, you know, like death warmed over or whatever. And, uh, you know, like I'm the walking dead. 
Uh, I, I just, you know, I just want to do my shows. I want to do that last show, and at the end of that show, I'm going to make the announcement that this is my last program. And they said, "We honor your wishes. So shall it be done." And we all agreed to that. Let me tell you another little piece of uh, really crapola that was going on in the middle of all of this. I told you about that that agent, this lawyer from Oakland. I won't say his name because he is a lawyer and he could sue me and it wouldn't cost him anything. Uh, But what I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. And I've heard of this happening in the business before, and I've never never found it a, a, a decent practice. I come to find out that my lawyer, my agent, is also the agent for guess who? Johnny Steele. And he is negotiating the new contract for Johnny Steele when he replaces me at Live 105. And yet he is also negotiating my exit. Doesn't Something sounds wrong there, doesn't it? Something sounds not nice. And it wasn't nice. And we got a hold of the lawyer and we said, look, uh, either you divest yourself of your interest in Johnny Steele or we're going to wind up taking you to court, and this is a highly illegal practice you're engaging in. And he got rid of Johnny. He didn't really get rid of Johnny. What he did is he handed Johnny over to a lawyer he knew, and you know, it, 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 it was pretty stinky poo. That's the best way I can put it. I mean, I just it was just amazing. But he uh, he got rid of Johnny, and he represented me up to the end. Okay, now here's the interesting story, and a lot of people may remember this, probably don't know what was going on. I wake up that Friday morning, got up early because I had to drive all the way over to Walnut Creek, and uh, I pick up the San Francisco Chronicle, which, uh, or, or maybe, you know, it was the San Francisco Chronicle, and I see an article. And the article says, uh, Alex Bennett to leave Live 105. And that it said that today was going to be my last show, blah, 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 blah. Uh, how did the newspaper get this? They said they would not release anything to anybody until I had done the show because I didn't want people to know what was happening until I did that show. So now I show up at the venue and KTVU, the television station for Oakland, is there with their remote truck. Uh, can we interview you? Can we uh, go in and uh, vid- you know do live some of your last show? And I just walked past my set. I'm not talking to anybody. You know, talk to them. They're the PR people here. You know, I'll let them make the decision. I was so mad because this is exactly what I didn't want happening. I didn't want a big to do about me leaving. I wanted just to leave to make my announcement at the end of the show. Thank everybody for their participation, hoping that I would find another radio station soon, and uh, uh, good luck, okay? And um, I couldn't do that now. And now I go in, and, you know, it's a club, and so there are chairs, and I think the tables, there were tables, and people were sitting there drinking their coffee that we were giving out for free and reading the newspaper and looking up from the newspaper where they're reading the article about me and giving me these sad, lonely looks. All of this isn't what I wanted to have happen. I wanted it to be an easy withdrawal. I wanted it to be a classy goodbye, and it just wasn't to be. 
So I went on and started doing the show. First of all, I went to my general manager who was sitting over there. And he went, you son of a bitch. He said, what? I said, why is this thing all over the press this morning? I thought we agreed it wasn't going to be released. And it turned out that some uh, a salesman at the radio station somehow trying to ingratiate himself to the newspaper where he wanted to have a good relationship because uh, it was one of his clients, gave them the information ahead of time. And that's how it got leaked. And I said, well, you know, you're the general manager of this station, and I hold you directly responsible for this because you were supposed to keep it quiet and you didn't. He said, well, I'm sorry. I said, sorry doesn't do it. Look, look at those people staring at me. They're staring at me like I'm death walking, you know. And now I got to go out there and do a show and have everybody laugh at me and all of that. I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I said, if, if I were really of a right mind and wasn't in the true show business tradition of the show must go on, I'd take a hike right now. And he said, well, we're sorry. Anyway, I went on and I did the show. And I'm starting, and uh, I wish I had a copy of the end of that show. I have a copy of that show, but it's just the first part of it. For some reason, the tape went bad or something because the end is what is the amazing thing I decided to do. Um, throughout the whole show, I mean, while other people are doing comedy, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? How am I going to put it? What am I going to do that is a fond goodbye and at the same time uh, compensates for the big mistake that's gone on here with everybody, you know, knowing what's going on? And all of a sudden, it hits me. And it's coming towards the end of the show. And everybody's waiting. Because I haven't said a thing on the air yet. And it's now the very end of the show. It's like the last two minutes. And I got up and I said something to this effect. I said, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much. You're always a great audience. I love having you as an audience. And I'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. And I left. And I walked across the stage looked at my general manager in the face and said, now you sort it all out. And I never told anybody that that was my last show. I just said, see you on Monday. I didn't say which Monday, and I didn't say where I'd see you, but I said, see you on Monday. Now, I had a girlfriend at that time, and I, I, I should mention her because she's a wonderful woman. Her name, I, I used to call her, she used to call me Schmoody, and I used to call her Schmoody, and I don't know why. It was so stupid. We loved it. We, we, and she, she was like a great pal. And her name was, her name was Kathleen. And I uh, thought the world of Kathleen. And she, you know, she was more of a pal than she was a girlfriend. Yeah, we had sex and things like that. But, uh, you know, I could actually have a lot of fun with her. And, um, she knew what was going on, and I said, look, I got, a, I got a plane flights for both of us to Las Vegas. I said, right after the show, my bodyguard, who I had, you know, and used occasionally, I told you about that, uh, it will drive us out to the airport, Oakland Airport. We'll get on the plane, go to Las Vegas, and just not have to talk to the press, because if I go back to San Francisco, the phone's going to start ringing like crazy. I'm going to have to talk to the press. I'm going to have to talk about what's going on. Are you really going? Are you not going? You didn't say you weren't going. And I didn't want to do any of that. Better to be a little bit mysterious. Better to be unavailable 
than to be available in a situation like that. And I just didn't want to talk about it. I was out of work. I was very expensively out of work because the paychecks were going to keep coming for the next 13 months. But uh, So we got on the plane and we went to Las Vegas and we stayed at, uh, I can't remember where now, uh, the place with the pirate boats and stuff like that. I know, the Pirates of the Caribbean Hotel. Uh, but, uh, Treasure Island, that's where we went. And we stayed there for the weekend. We went to uh, we went to, you know, Boulder Dam, Hoover Dam, whatever you want to call it. We took the dam tour. Uh, we had a really nice time, and I, you know, it was. I really thank her for being there for me uh, to kind of take my mind off things and to kind of be a good friend at the moment, in spite of the fact that, in a way, she was a girlfriend, in a way, she wasn't. It was, but it was. It's a relationship to this day that still, you know, we still communicate with each other uh and uh she shared that moment with me and i went back to san francisco and i uh i uh, uh went home to a answering machine full of calls that i had no intention of returning some of them newspapers some of them television stations most of them from comics and people i knew going what the fuck is going on i mean all the newspapers are saying you're quitting and then today you say i'll see you on monday so i didn't i you know i called some of the more personal people uh and told them what was going on but what was so sad about all of this was is that I really loved my time at Live 105. I loved the people at Live 105. And what I had left behind was Lori Thompson, who now had to work with this talentless Johnny Steele, who only lasted a short time, and he was, it was only meant to. He was what I called being used as Sherbert. You know how when you go out to a really good meal uh, between courses, they give you sherbet to cleanse your palate. Well, he was the sherbet that was being used to cleanse the palate between me and Howard. And he did so badly in the ratings, and the show was such a failure that when Howard finally came on, everybody breathed a sigh of relief. And nobody connected the two, like, you know, Howard uh, threw Alex off the air. Uh, Howard uh, was a a better thing for the radio. None of that would happen. They would just say, oh, they got rid of Johnny Steele. He's being replaced by Howard Stern. And so the two never get linked together. And and Johnny, for all his talentlessness and his being an asshole by kissing up with the bosses and all of that, was actually a victim as well because he was being used as Sherbert. Uh, and uh, that's something nobody ever used me as, so I'm very happy about it. But I got to tell you, that last fling at Live 105 was maybe one of the happiest, best times I've ever had in radio. And the people that I work with, Lori Thompson, Larry Bubbles Brown, who I just uh, just adored, did the greatest traffic reports of all time, and 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 also just a, a few of the producers that I had that I really liked, especially in the end. And I just you know, it, part of what you're missing is not necessarily doing the show, or not necessarily being the star anymore, but you're also missing the family because these were people you went to see every single morning and you hung out with them. And maybe you had lunch with them after the show. And they became your friends. You never saw them outside of work. That would ruin everything. But when you were at work, you were friends, you were a family, and 
you had a great love for each other. I mean, the feelings that I had for Lori and the care that I had for Lori and all the trials and tribulations that she went through because she, she went through, through them. Uh, I went through them with her and I, and I, I loved her and, and adored her and was always there for her. And I was, uh, I just loved that, that family I had created. Uh, there were a lot of other people. There was a guy named Curtis. Uh, I'm trying to remember all the people. It amounted to about maybe eight, nine people who made up the cast and crew of this morning show. But it was, and I will say to the people of Live 105 and the people of San Francisco, that was, I would say, that last time that I was in San Francisco, the biggest success I've ever had in this business. And while I was well-known in New York and looked upon as an as a icon of the youth or whatever, nothing beat being the kind of hit show and the kind of great show and the great radio that we did at Live 105. But that's Live 105. There's more to my career, and it's coming up next time. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me, I'm Alex Bennett.